G'day and welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast. Today we're doing a bit of an Australian basketball catch-up and I've got one of my old guests returning, Australian basketball expert from the pick and roll, Michael Hoobin. How are you, mate? Yeah, really good. Keen to talk some hoops over the off-season. It's been kind of quiet, so it's uh, nice to jump on. Thanks. Yeah, I gathered, you know, we've, we're coming out of that peak off-season period of, you know, summer league and the NBA draft and the start of the, you know, NBL's free agency I thought now is kind of a good time to do a bit of a stock take as we head into, you know, really the the doldrums of the offseason when, when nothing much is happening. You're just kind of twiddling your thumbs waiting for, for the season to start again. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm one of those weirdos that kind of gets a real kick out of the offseason and all the moves and stuff. It sort of <laughs> is, you know, I'm one of those people. And, um, you know, we've gotten to a point now where, you know, teams have really shaped up and we have a rough idea of, um, what every squad's going to look like. It will take a few more signings. So it's um, it's it's been interesting to see how the, the league sort of shifted over this offseason. Yeah. Um, before we get into our very esoteric NBL chat, I did want to touch briefly on one of the Australians on the world stage, obviously Dyson Daniels, who hasn't played in the NBL, but going eighth overall to the New Orleans Pelicans, took that path of going to the G League Ignite instead of college or, you know, even I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would have had next star offers like Josh Giddy the year prior to him. Um, I guess from a, a Daniels perspective and obviously us as projecting for future boomers in the 2024 Olympics, what do you reckon his expectations are going into his first NBA season? Yeah, well, when you're a top 10 pick as, you know, Dyson was to, to the Pelicans this, this offseason, um there's a lot there's a lot of expectations there's a lot of weight on your shoulders that wasn't there previously and um you know i think what will probably help lolo's um expectations a little bit is the fact that he's going to you know a pretty um well-built situation already you know the pelicans are a team that you know had a, a great deal of success last season they've got a lot of great key players already um, and he's not going to be expected to come in kind of like, you know, Josh Giddy was last year with the Oklahoma City Thunder and, um, you know, really maximize, you know, a great deal of opportunity and become the guy from day one. Uh, he's going to have the opportunity to, to slide in over time and fill gaps in the rotation. And I think in that way, uh, at least the expectations that people should have are very different um, to someone in a, in a rebuilding situation. But with that being said, there's a lot of hype around him. You know, he had a great season with Ignite. He got picked really high. And I think a lot of people are forecasting this guy as, you know, a future Australian star, a future boomer. And, and with that comes a lot of expectations. I mean, it's kind of odd, right, that you go, when you're drafted so high, like eighth overall, you're usually going to a team that's coming off a pretty bad season prior. So it's usually odd that you're going to what was in effect I know they only won 36 games but with the plane and all that sort of stuff. You know, you go into a playoff team. Obviously, this pick, I'm pretty sure, was a part of the um, Ingram trade or the mm. um, the Anthony Davis trade. But for, for like, I look at this Pelicans roster and I go, like, I look down to like 13th, 14th on the rotation. It's like, these are just a bunch of really playable guys. Like, even when you get into the depths of it, like Najee Marshall, Trey Murphy had a great rookie season, like, it's such a deep roster. So you're right in that the expectations for Dyson to need to come in and contribute, whereas most other eighth overall picks in years gone past would probably need to do that. Going to a, a lottery team, like it allows him to just kind of settle in and play his natural role of being an elite defensive presence on the wing, maybe a little bit of 
you know, point guard play. But I mean, they've got such a deep roster. He almost might not even play for like the first month, just let him sit. Um, but I guess the raps are so high and he's already had that full pro season in effect with the G League Ignite that it's it's not the unique situation. Sorry, it is a unique situation, unlike most other picks in that caliber that are going to rubbish teams. Yeah, I think people need to look at it through a very different lens because, you know, he's, I, I think it suits him in the sense that Dyson is not necessarily the offensive engine of a team and he's not necessarily going to be in the future either. You know, he's someone that um, is going to make his living on the defensive end, guarding multiple positions. And then offensively, he just kind of does a little bit of everything right now. So when you consider that and consider the fact that, you know, minutes aren't going to fall in his lap, he's not going to be putting up, you know, triple doubles and, and doing the sort of things that Josh Giddy was last season. And in that sense, you hope that expectations are going to be quelled. But what he is going to get the opportunity to do is have impactful minutes on a meaningful team. And if you're able to do that as a young guy, then that's a, a pretty rare thing to do at 19, 20 years old. So if he's able to achieve that, regardless of statistical output, then he's going to have a really great season. Yeah, it's, it's the old adage of, you know, defense gets you onto the floor. And most rookies come in not, you know, usually being the offensive star of their college teams or their, you know, pro teams overseas or whatever. And they usually don't have that defensive capability from day one. Um, Dyson was getting this hype, even if you remember back to the All-Star break last season because he was obviously one of the four G League Ignite players that got to take part in the All-Star Saturday night and people back then were like going wow this kid just plays the right way which is a bit of a cliched compliment to just give to a guy who's 19 years old who just you know who passes the ball but maybe that's a rarity in college I don't know but like he was getting that that head turning attention back then and you know I just think he's going to be a really like you're going to forget that he's a rookie at times this year. I don't think he's going to have that rookie, you know, lull that that most ball dependent rookies would normally have. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a great point because the things that he does, he does night in and night out. He always makes the right decisions. He's always going to play hard. As you said, that's the stuff that's going to get him on the floor. And even you know, I know people sort of forecast him. You know, I guess as a point guard or a point forward. Obviously, he's, he's grown so big; he's almost not a point guard anymore. But when you consider they've got CJ McCollum, they've got Brandon Ingram. You know, that obviously Zion's going to command a lot of the ball when he's back. You know, he, he's not going to touch much of the ball. It's not going to be his role. Um, but when you consider that a player like that, obviously a lot of the accolades and um, hype go towards you know high high offensive players you know these big time scorers it's pretty remarkable that Dyson I think was the the highest drafted ignite player this season when you consider that you know he wasn't you know putting up 30 point games like you know a Jaden Hardy or you know even contributing in certain ways guys like Marjon Beauchamp did you know but it goes to show that teams value this versatility and and these sort of players and I think that's um where the Pelicans are going to find a lot of value in. I think in a way playing on Ignite kind of helped him because he's not that offensive presence like those other guys are. Because if you look at the other guys on the Ignite and just their stats and the way that team is built, none of them shot the ball, you know, even remotely well. Like I think most of their field goal percentages were in the thirties. Um, and obviously Dyson, like we know that that's not what his game is anyway, to be a high level scorer. So I think the fact that he was still able to showcase his strengths in that environment, whereas you look at a guy like 
you know, Hardy or Beauchamp and they shot the ball poorly, but that's kind of what their projected strengths are to do at the next level. So there's a bit of unknown. I think that has also partly helped Dyson to just, I guess, not have that same fall in the draft. Like it's allowed him to just maintain his high draft status. Yeah, it was, it was a really great fit in that sense. I think it, something else that was really good for the Ignite and you compare it to, you know, if you signed with a Melbourne United or something through the Next Star program is he did get the ball in his hands a fair bit. And I think that was really good developmentally for um, him just to get more reps on the ball and learning to control an offense and do things of that nature. Because I think there's a lot of untapped upside for someone like Dyson as he develops his ball skills, as he develops his technical passing ability, things like this. Because if you watch him, he, he reads the game really well. Um, you know, he's played as a guard pretty much all his life. He's just grown to six, seven, six, eight. Um, and so I think that experience for him was really helpful. And if you're going to have a look to, you know, him going to the Pelicans now, one of the potential cons you may say to, to going to a winning situation like that, or a more competitive situation is he's not going to get those same reps on the ball and the, the same ability to play through his mistakes and, and feel his way through to his utmost upside um you know again you compare it to someone like josh giddy he had a great season and he was great from the start but i think the ability to just be given the ball in his hands and and figure things out really helped him grow throughout that season and dyson's not really going to have that luxury well i mean the the obvious differences there is you know giddy going to the thunder and when you take out shay from the equation that team is basically built around giddy whereas dyson is just going to be like a seventh eighth ninth man on a a good team but also on the ignite it's like that that team is purely for development like they're not interested in really winning mm. which is where that differs from playing in the NBL or if, if you look at the Euros that have come across, like Luke is a special exception, but I distinctly remember when um Mario Hazonia was playing for Barcelona before he came out, he was only playing like 12 minutes a night or something really low. And everyone's like, why is this dude just like not playing more? He's clearly going to be a high draft pick. And they're like, well, he's not going to be here next year. So we don't care. We just want to win. Um, so I guess that's the, the one benefit of playing for the Ignite. It's just, they don't really... Like there's no real benefit to them to winning or losing. It's just, you know, let's just get these guys in as many reps as possible in different situations. And and you look at a situation like that and what the Ignites created, it's not just proving to be an alternative to the NBL. Like obviously the Next Stars program has been really successful, but the avenues for the league to start picking up Next Stars is drying up in part because of Ignite success. And it's not just Australia there's European, there's Asian prospects all going to this Ignite program because, as you said, you know, you might be a guy like Mario Hazonia in Europe and not playing that much. Ignite's the perfect situation. So, yeah, they've really capitalised on this sort of gap in the market, I guess, and um, it's, it's proven to be a really successful platform for prospects all around the world. I guess that's a good little way to segue into pro leagues and the NBL. And I guess staying on the draft theme, obviously the NBL had a bunch of guys last season that were playing with their draft stock in mind. And we ended up getting, I say we, <laughs> I think it's a collective effort from everyone down here, but we got three NBL players drafted this season. And I think that the big story here is, uh, it was Mundian going 11th, right? Yeah, well, if you want to talk about the G League Ignite, 
Um, the New Zealand Breakers were kind of like the NBL equivalent to that team as down the stretch of the season as it went on. You know, they sort of got rid of Jeremiah Martin and um, really handed the keys to guys like Usman Jang and obviously Hugo Besson as well. And I think that was fantastic for his development and his ability to showcase himself. I think he it was absolutely night and day from the Usman Jeng who started the season. I think a lot of people were like, man, is this guy, if not a bust, he's at least a massive project. You know, we can see that he's 6'9", 6'10". He moves quite well. He's got, you know, this theoretical skill set to him, but he just wasn't putting the ball in the basket or really doing anything of note. Um, you know, really was quite concerning early on. But as those reps developed, you know, it's a reminder of how quickly these young players progress and develop when that potential's there. And, you know, when he was given the green light and given the ball in his hands, I don't think his production was, you know, a, a massive drop off the pace from what we saw from guys like Josh Giddy and, and such, you know, when they're in the league. Like you compare even, for instance, RJ Hampton, who was a mid-first rounder a couple of years ago, and his production with the breakers, and I think Usman was a lot more successful in his stint with the Breakers. So Usman really ended up having a good season. He finished really strong. And he ended up hitting sort of the ceiling of his uh, NBA draft stock going, what was it, 11th? Yeah. Do you reckon, like, were you surprised, I guess, that he ended up going 11th after the, the I guess, inconsistent season he had? Mm, yeah, I, I would say yes and no. I think he was kind of divisive in many ways. You know, it depends on how you look at it. I think the best thing you had going for him, obviously you had some strong games towards the end of the season and you could point at those and say, you know, look how good this kid is. But he also fits the mould of what NBA teams are looking for. And even if they do look at him and say, yeah, he's a bit inconsistent, he's going to be a bit of a project in the NBA they can also say, hey, this is the exact type of guy that we want to pick up. You know, it's a big wing. It's a guy that can do multiple things on the offensive end of the floor. NBA teams love that. And you look at the team, you know, that ended up with him, Oklahoma City Thunder. They have an absolute crush on players of this sort of <laughs> archetype. You know, your uh, Pokasevskis, you know, your Josh Giddies, all these big guys with ball skills, they froth them. So <laughs> to see Usman end up at OKC... Seems kind of poetic. It seemed kind of right. And I guess the question is, how are they going to put the ball in all these guys' hands? And, and Jiang still got his draft moment of being booed by the New York crowd because he was technically a Knicks draft pick. That's, uh, that, that's something you can hang your hat on at this point. I think New York uh, fans don't have a great track record of uh, booing draft picks. Uh, you could argue they were right to boo uh, Porzingis with all how all that eventuated for them. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um Surely Jang spends most, if not all, of the season playing for the Blue, though, right? The G League team. Yeah, well, he was, as I said, he sort of became semi-productive in a situation that was very conducive to his development in the NBL. But, you know, you take that step up to the NBA and, you know, you look at, even though OKC is very much a rebuilding situation, you know, they do have plenty of options that they can throw out on the floor. And for Usman, especially as a player that, you know, works best with the ball in his hands, uh, I think having lots of reps at the G League level will be the best case for him. And I think OKC are not looking for much from him in the first couple of years. They're going to look at three, four years down the line, going into that second contract and hoping that, you know, maybe they've struck gold. I guess the one thing that would worry me by letting Jane kind of run wild in the G League is the 
you don't want him to pick up, I guess, bad habits just by having the ball in his hands, right? But I guess that's also fluked by that you don't want him to just be crushed all the time in the NBA, like night in, night out. Mm. Well, I, I guess it's that argument either way, philosophically, you know, in terms of development. You know, it's like we were saying with Dyson Daniels, you need to, I guess, find that middle ground. You know, if guys are used to having the ball in their hands all the time, then how are they going to scale up to the NBA games when they have to play off of much more successful players and find their role off the ball and, you know, playing it in a different way? Um, but with that being said, you have to sort of trust in the skill set that this player allured you to in the first place. And I think if you're going to project Usman as a guy that's you know going to be mostly off the ball, then you're missing what makes him special. And that's not to say he's, you know, going to command a lot of the ball and, and be a really high usage guy. But I think he is someone that if he hits his ceiling and he works out as an NBA player, he is going to be someone that's going to be handling the ball and pick and roll a little bit and, and doing those sort of things. So I think further development at the G League level is going to be really good. He's going to be able to play off of other players as well and, and develop that aspect of his skill set. Um, but at some point, he is going to have to figure out what exactly is my role at the NBA level and how can I maximize my impact? Now from the top of the draft and I guess the diamonds of the draft too, where teams just start, you know, firing from the hip, looking for that diamond in the rough Two other NBL players got picked up very late. Uh, We'll start with Luke Travers going to Cleveland at 56th, if memory serves me correctly. Um, we heard like all season about how his draft stock was rising, 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 but I didn't really think he'd be drafted. But I guess when you get to that point in the draft, projecting like between 40 and a hundred, it's just, you know, it's an absolute lottery because teams are looking for different things. You know, obviously he's going back to the NBL this season. There's a stash back to Perth. So Cleveland, you know, just said, you look, just go away for a year, keep playing at your level. Um, but yeah, I was semi-surprised to hear his name called. I think you're far from alone in being surprised <laughs> who was picked up. I think everyone was, you know, hoping and and really wishing the best for for Travers as he entered this draft. You know, it's always exciting to see an Australian get drafted. But, you know, he, uh, you know, it was always going to be a bit of a long shot. I think the thing that really helped push him over the line in terms of getting picked up was the fact that there was that option to stash him. Uh, as you said, it's so hard, especially when you get towards the back end of a draft, you know, there's so many players on a similar tier, you know, and there's different variables that come down to who's going to get picked up and who doesn't. And even sometimes going undrafted and getting an opportunity that way uh, can make more sense for a player than getting picked up late in the second round and a team owning your rights. Um, So there's many different ways to look at it, but I think for Luke, this was a fantastic outcome Obviously, really exciting to see him go to the Cavs where they've had some, you know, previous Australian ties as well. Um, But the fact that they're able to retain his rights and pop him back in Perth and see how he develops, that works really well for Cleveland. And I think it works really well for Luke as well. Now, I, I know I say that, you know, there's all these variables that are involved when it comes to, you know, late round draft picks, but... Luke was very much, um, he had the talent to be picked up. You know, it was, it was a very legitimate pick. And you look at how he played in summer league. And even though he was, his performance, I guess you could say, was modest um, for the Wildcats last season, you really saw about how he fits into the NBA game in that summer league setting. You know, you see the, the athleticism, the feel. Like he, he made a comment after one of the summer league games saying, 
my passing's really opened up because of the the difference in the the key rules. And he's saying, you know, the the role guy is just so much more open. Um, so his feel for the game, his ability to play on both ends are things that teams are going to really like. Again, he's a big guy that can handle and pass the ball. He's just a smart player and he plays hard and that goes a long way. Um, whether he turns out to be an actual NBA player and play meaningful minutes in the NBA going forward remains to be seen. I think Luke is very much on the fringes in that regard right now, but the ball's in his court. The expectations are set now and all the hype's there now that he's a draft pick and he comes back to Perth and obviously they'll be looking for a bigger role for him. Do you reckon the phrase NBA athleticism is given out a bit too freely nowadays? Oh, they love to throw it around. (laughs) And I mean, you look at a guy like Luke, like he's athletic in a very functional sense, but he's also not a jump out of the gym guy or, you know, extremely bursty or anything like that. Um, And frankly, I reckon he could be a little bit more aggressive with his athleticism. You know, there's, there's times he'll just, you know, casually pop it in the room on a fast break or something. I'm like, I feel like this guy has the potential to get up and, you know, really jam the thing. Um, but that speaks to his temperament and the way he plays. But yeah, there's, there's guys that, you know, functionally pretty athletic and then there's NBA athletes, you know, there's levels to it. Um, yeah. I think Luke's in a, in a very modest tier in that regard. <laughs> the only reason I bring that up is because obviously we talk about guys that are athletic and it started for me way back a few years ago when they started saying that Nathan Serby had NBA athleticism and I, I'm just sitting there going, well, he's extremely athletic for the NBL and not to rag on the NBL in this respect, but like, let's be honest, it's nowhere near the level of athleticism <laughs> top to bottom that the NBA has. So while Sobi can, you know, put guys on a poster in like the NBL, like he could, I'm sure he could dunk on Jordan Hunter or someone, for example, um, NBA athleticism is not being able to dunk in the NBL. So when I hear, you know, someone like Luke Travers go, oh, he's, uh, when they talk about him as being an elite athlete or even just a really good athlete, I go, well, he's probably a good athlete for the NBL, but that's always the interesting transition for me, how they adjust to that heightened pace in the game and the just the level of athlete you're going up against because he can get by his man pretty comfortably in the NBL. And his handle is, I would say, good, not great. Like there's obviously room for improvement there, um, but it's reasonably tight for a 6'8 young you know, point forward or whatever you want to call him. Um, but it's always interesting to see how they adapt in those first um, those first scrimmages against what I would call real athletes or NBA-level athletes. And Luke, look, Luke definitely held his own in some league. Like you said, it was a modest performance statistically and just from the eye test. Um, yeah, I wonder if he is going to start actually yamming on people now, though. Well, maybe this will give him that boost of confidence. Maybe he'll, um, he'll come out with a different mindset and, uh, yeah, <laughs> start rocking the highlight reels. But I think, um, yeah, you pop him in an NBA game and you're not exactly going to look and say, oh, yeah, that Luke Travers, that guy is like a standout athlete here. <laughs> you know, he <laughs> might, uh, might, might just be passable. You know, maybe, maybe the mullet's giving him an extra edge. I don't know. It just looks impressive because it's flying up behind him. Yeah, gives him that extra speed. I, I did appreciate. I I don't watch Stranger Things, but I saw a lot of Stranger Things references when he was drafted. 
Oh, I, I saw those as well. And it, it really clicked with me. Like this guy is going to have an absolute cult following. If he gets any minutes in there, like, if he gets five minutes of garbage time in the NBA, people are going to be going on about this guy to the <laughs> come home. They're going to love well, him. Well, you remember Delhi's rookie year in 2013, 14, he was getting um, uh, YouTube like highlight reels of just him pestering Bradley Beal, for example. <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd make like one basket in... And the Cavs went from like 30 down to 10 down. And he's like, oh my God, this guy's the comeback king. He's spurring a comeback. Um, there's there's obviously far. a path there. Yeah. Oh, well, if you think about it, has there been a more like Australian or like symbolically a more Australian player to be in the NBA? Like he, he personifies the look. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah, I love it. Especially because, yeah, no, just that flowing mullet, the 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 outwardly Australian accent, um, the moustache. That I think when Americans think of like Australia, they think of crocodile Dundee and all that sort of stuff. And I think he's the most like if you were to place any Australian basketballer in crocodile Dundee, they would not look out of place. <laughs> it's it's probably Luke Travers. That's so true. And, you know, so many Australian players go over to the States and people say, oh, like, you are you Americanizing yourself? Are you losing the accent? I think it'll go the other way for Luke. You know, I think when some Australian tourists go to America, <laughs> you know, they're like hamming it up a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Aussie accent. You know, Luke's just, um, you know, he's going to get so much love from that. He might just have to uh, sell it a little bit. <laughs> uh, I Yeah, that's exactly my experience, what I found when I... Like whenever I'm overseas, I notice that I tend to to act it like act it up and like really, really turn it on and like start slurring and like I like really start dragging the words out. And especially when I did live in America, I'd just become, you know, 50% more Australian. No, I don't I can't explain it. It's just it's just an odd phenomenon. And I remember when um Andrew Gaze interviewed Josh Giddy after the season, that was like the first thing he asked him, like, are you keeping the accent? Like, how are you going? And Josh is like, oh yeah, here and there you notice it, like you start to slip in a few Americanisms, but I'm I'm trying really hard to keep it. Well, it's only it's only natural, you know. These guys are over there for years. I'm I'm quite surprised they keep it, to be honest. But um, yeah, if it, if it works for them, you know, they should uh, they should definitely ham it up. <laughs> hmm. Um, now when the draft was ending, I started you know tweeting like, oh, how good is it to see two NBL players? drafted because I just had no thought in my mind that there was going to be another one taken with the last two picks. And then pick 58, Hugo Besson goes to Milwaukee. Yeah. How random was that? I mean, we kind of expected Besson to be drafted, you know, it was a different situation to Travers where it sort of came out of nowhere. Um, you know, Hugo in some areas of the internet, you know, was mocked as a early second round pick, maybe even a late first round pick. Um and so it was was quite surprising to see him drop, uh, especially because he's a you know a stash candidate as well and in, um, in his own way. So it was kind of disappointing to see him drop. And I think when you are picked up that late in the draft, it's sort of you wonder whether it's in their best interest to um, get locked into a franchise as, as he did. But it was good just from the standpoint that he was there at the draft and um, you know obviously it's you know such a momentous occasion for a young player to get drafted. It was, you know, really exciting to see that happen to him. And it was very well deserved because he was sensational for the breakers over the course of the season. He's definitely a world-class shot creator and um, was extremely productive. Obviously, he's a little bit older, but, you know, you compare to the other next stars and 
he made his impact as well as anybody. So um, it was great to see him get drafted. He, I think he does have a chance to be an NBA player, whether that is likely or not. I think the way that he plays the game is very suited to the international game. You know, I think he, he has the chance to be a really prolific international scorer. Um, but if he continues to refine his game and become more efficient with what he does, then I don't see why he couldn't be, you know, potentially a spark plug off the bench for an NBA team as well. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, my initial thought when he got drafted was that he's probably not going to, you know, his, his path to minutes in Milwaukee is, you know, pretty close to zero. But I thought about it a little bit more and I go, well, Milwaukee being what they are as being a contender with a pretty big payroll, they need cheap labor wherever they can get it. Mm. Um, and, and I also think, you know, and this is me just firing off my takes without doing any draft research whatsoever, because honestly, I tried doing draft research once and then just watching college basketball is painful. <laughs> um, and I got my takes wrong anyway, so I just gave up. But, you know, from what I saw of Besson in, in the NBL, he, he rates to me as one of just the best pure go get you a bucket guys. Um, and look, those guys are always valuable on cheap deals off the bench. Now, again, there's a little bit of projection, a little bit of best case scenario here for Besson. Defensively, he's, um, let's say, a work in progress. He's not the biggest guy. He's got a pretty slight frame. And again, not a great athlete at the NBA level. Um, But I definitely think there is a a path for him, maybe not in Milwaukee to get minutes, but as a, like an offensive spark plug. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, is stashed overseas, maybe back in the NBL, probably not, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's stashed in like Europe or somewhere for at least the next year. Yeah. It looks like Europe is going to be the play. And I think that'll be great for him. Uh, the, the difficulty is, as you said, there's such a high threshold. It, there's not to say that players like Besson aren't in the NBA, but there's such a high threshold to meet in terms of just being the most elite of the elite um, to to warrant playing the way that he does at the NBA level. You know, you look at the Bucks, but any NBA team, and they're not going around saying, oh, we need a we need a guy we can just give the ball to and just go to the bed. <laughs> you know, like they, they got a few guys that are, you know, and not not, not a pick 58 anyway. No, exactly right. So it's a hard sort of archetype to fit into a small role. Um, but you look at, uh, there were times in the, Breakers season where I'd look at him, especially when he went off and just, you know, had some massive games for the Breakers, um, where he reminded me a little bit of guys like Tyler Hero. And you look at Tyler, you know, he's a guy with, you know, not the most fantastic dimensions or athletic profile in the same way that Besson does. Um, And he's, you know, not a fantastic defender either. But what he does do is just shoot the ball at an elite level and he can also create for himself as well. Um, so absolute best case scenario, um, if Besson just like figured it all out, because, you know, we saw it like the offensive talents there, um, if he can meet certain efficiency thresholds, then, you know, maybe he could have a, a poor man's Tyler hero role on an NBA team. Um, but for the most part, I think, you know, you want to see him in a situation where he, he gets the green light a bit and he gets to do his thing. And, you know, the international game is going to be really well suited for that. Yeah, I look at a guy like Besson and I guess more broadly the the lower end of the NBA or of an NBA roster and a lot of these role players will have, you know, one elite 
NBA skill, whether that is defending like for Dyson Daniels or their athleticism and ball handling for their height, like maybe a Jang or a Travers. You know, for Besson, it's it is his shot creation. The only issue is that, that that's that skill has become so saturated now in the NBA. It's it's almost dime a dozen. Um, so like you said, the threshold for for him with his skill set to dent the NBA, it's just a lot higher than these other more in-demand skills. I feel like there's a surplus of shot creation right now because everyone wants to do it. Everyone grows up wanting to do it. So, you know, just it's just the way the league has gone right now that his barometer for making the league is far more distant than just even Luke Travers, for instance. And it's a it's a very different situation, but there are some parallels when you look at, you know, when people ask, why is Bryce Cotton not in the NBA? Why, you know, is XYZ player that was so successful in the NBL not an NBA player? Well, it comes down to that archetype, you know, these undersized scorers, you know, that you have to hide on the defensive end. It's really hard to make it work. And, you know, while I think someone like Bryce Cotton such an outlier that, you know, you know, you could see him on an NBA team. I think we all know he's pretty good, but someone like Hugo Besson. Um, and I, I think if you look at his statistical output over the whole season, off the top of my head, I think he might have shot sub 40% from the field and his three-point shooting was hit and miss in part because of um, the difficulty of some of the shots he took. Um, not to say that he's not a talented shooter, but he needs to really show that, yes, I can go get a bucket, but also, you know, you can pop me off the ball, you can run me off some off-ball actions and I can be an elite shooter. Um, so that's going to be his next development. Obviously, you know, there's so many other areas he can improve defensively um, as a playmaker, all these sort of aspects. Um, but, you know, I, I don't forecast him having an NBA role or getting a real NBA opportunity despite being drafted uh, unless he takes those further steps in refining his game. Yeah, just for reference, 39% field goal and 31% three. Um, on a not, uh, hang on, on a, uh, let's say a fair few attempts. He got, he got them up. Yeah. And again, that I don't think those numbers are entirely indicative of his ability. You look at those numbers and you're thinking, why is this guy shooting the bloody ball? Like those <laughs> numbers suck, but you know, he had games where he'd pop off and he'd be pretty efficient and he was just making shots all over the floor. But, you know, when you're taking self-created threes and, you know, you're not like a big physical presence that's scoring efficiently at the rim, you know, you're going to have quiet games and you're going to have big games. Um, And so, you know, you see like 31% from three and you think, well, you know, if he refined his shot selection, he was taking more spot up threes, then, you know, maybe that number would be a lot higher. Um, But, you know, that's all in theory. Like you got to see it in practice. And, you know, I think he also it was a blessing and a curse that he was in a situation where he got the green light because, you know, he struggled, but you know, the, the raw numbers were improved and he got lots of opportunities to figure things out. Um, You know, the next step for him is being able to translate his role to a more competitive environment. Yep. Now my last point here on this MBL and this draft chat, um, admittedly, this was a bit of a writer's room. So friend of the show, Tim Ray, pointed this out on draft night and I've just kind of agreed with it. But th- there seems like, whereas in the past, you know, the NBL was a bit of a joke league reputationally, um, internationally, it's gotten to the point now where if you do well in the NBL, the reputation of the league can lift you up another couple of points, if that makes sense. 
Yep. Yeah, absolutely has. You know, the reputation of the league has come in leaps and bounds. Obviously, the Next Star program has been, you know, an incredible success. And, um, you know, I think a lot of players are looking at it from all over the world. Um, from the lens of a Next Star perspective, it's kind of unfortunate because, you know, we mentioned, you know, things like Ignite and other things, cutting the lunch of the NBL. And um, I, I think if some of those programs weren't in place right now, then some of the talent that would be attracted to this league would just be through the roof. Um, you know, yeah. you think about not just the guys who missed out on in the immediate sense, but just going back the last season or two, I reckon your, your Jalen Greens, your Jonathan Kamingas, all those sort of guys would have signed in the NBL if not for Ignite. Um, you know, there's definitely an attraction there, um, but you know, it's, it's all relative to the other options on the table and it is really difficult, but in terms of the league's reputation, I think the NBA really respects it. I think other leagues around the world really respect it. Players want to come play here. Obviously, you know, there are other factors that the lifestyle is great here. The only thing that's holding the NBA back at this point really is budgets. It's the only yeah. thing. It's the only thing. I mean, you look at just, um, we'll get to this a little bit later as well, but, you know, Jalen Adams comes here for a working holiday and leaves with a contract about a million times bigger over in Asia or, you know, wherever he ends up signing. Um, I do think that, I think Ignite was a big competitor, but I also, you know, obviously the NCAA being, you know, that whole Supreme Court case of, you know, the NBA having no, uh, NCAA having no right to uh, restrict income off a player's likeness. You know, once that opened up, then that was... You know, the NBL will still be at the table in the discussions for these prospects that are considering all their options, but, you know, they can't just come with the promise of money and playing time now. You know, it's it's a, it's an even playing field, which sucks. Yeah, it's super challenging. All that NIL stuff was a game changer. Um, it was very well overdue. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's great that, I, I mean... NBL bias aside, it's great that these players have so many um, good options for them, you know, at that point in their careers, you know, it's, it's well-deserved and there's still going to be some players where their, you know, particular situations will lend themselves to an NBL opportunity. But I do think, um, you know, there's a lot of missed opportunity as well, where, you know, maybe a few seasons ago, we could have uh, landed some more talent. Yeah. And I mean, you look at even the next starts crop last year, but I don't think there were any, Americans in there were there that they're not new ones anyway. I think Jessup still technically counted as one. No, um, yeah, I mean Jessup was sort of the last one, and he had a very unique situation about him. Um, there, there has been some US players, and not just necessarily stash players, but players um, that are yet to join the college system or in the middle of their college careers that um, have been in next star discussions with NBL teams, but. Um, none of that's really come to fruition at this point. Uh, so you know, there, there's still talks, there's still potential players that, you know, could, you know, show an interest and a willingness to come here. Um, yeah. there's, there's some US players that, you know, have shown an interest in coming here that, um, you know, maybe teams are less interested in picking up as well because, you know, the balancing act is, you know, teams refining the next star process and realising we want more, you know, we, we hear this rhetoric from all the NBL teams. We want more play-ready guys. Um, so, you know, it's it's a difficult balancing act and, you know, it's very hard to find something that suits all parties. Yeah. Um, 
All right. I think we'll move on from that into what probably the best uh, good news story for Australian basketball this summer. And something that I guess people that knew what they were talking about were flagging as a possibility before it even started in the summer league. But Jack White playing so well enough that he earned a two-way contract with the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, how exciting was that? I remember I was I did a little video thing with Jack White not too long ago, and he had mentioned on the on the download that you know he was going to be heading over to the Nuggets. Um, but I didn't realize how long he'd had it locked in for. You know, and they they spoke about it. You know, once Summer League came around and said this thing was locked in like mid season of the of United season. So it was very clear that um, Denver had their eyes on on Jack White and saw something in him. Um, and though he did play really well with the Nuggets, I think that was just like the final, uh, you know, ceiling of the deal for him. It seemed like they had interest for a long time. Um, you know, Jack is obviously someone, A, with a reputation coming from Duke University and a, a captain of Duke University that, you know, holds a lot of weight. Um, but then also someone, and I think this is, such a great example for all other players, you know, aspiring to go to high levels that is just a star in his role. You know, he's a really high character guy, you know, defense first guy, does all the little things. You may not say he's a top 10 player in the NBL or even like the best player on his United team, but through virtue of what he does and how well he does it, he got himself an NBA contract. It's really exciting. Couldn't think of a better guy to, to deserve something like that. And, you know, the Nuggets can be a really good spot for him. And it goes back to what I said earlier when we are talking about the Son and his his NBA-ready skill and, I guess, or his banner skill. You know, what Jack White does, it's far more unique. And he's got good size. That, well, I don't know if he's listed at about 6'8 or so. Um, and I, I would consider him far more NBA athletic, even post-Achilles injury to someone like a Luke Travers. But... You know, someone he, he had a 15 rebound game in summer league. And, you know, for a you know, A, summer league, you're on the court long enough to get 15 minutes is rare, uh, 15 rebounds is rare because they're just chopping and changing all the time, especially when you're not pre-contracted to the team as a draft pick or a you know a rookie or whatever. Um, but also just getting in there and fighting for it. And and summer league, as people know, it's it's a it's an audition, not just for NBA teams, but for teams around the world because there's scouts from all over the place there. And it's very easy to fall into that individualistic style of play, which we obviously know that's not what Jack's about. So for him to earn that, well, you say it was kind of the last tick on the, the check sheet anyway for him to get that deal. But, you know, a, a star in his role, and I think a very unique type of player that's going to get uh, spots of legitimate NBA minutes this season obviously he'll spend most of his time i think grand rapids is the denver's g league team the grand rapids gold yeah, so that's yeah. a it's a fair distance <laughs> um but he's gonna he's gonna get some time yeah well you know you look at uh you know what a two-way contract means you know for for an nbl player an australian player you know that's a that's a guaranteed five hundred thousand dollar contract right there and you know, even even if he doesn't play one minute in the NBA, you know that's a massive you know financial opportunity for him. It's a it's really lucrative, um, and you know best case scenario, he does well in the G League team, and he his opportunity comes. You know, I think again the Nuggets are a team with lots of talent, lots of depth, but you know the the 
a right amount of injuries or different circumstances that, you know, fall, you know, in a certain way could lead to Jack having a, a role. Um, again, like we were saying before, the Nuggets are not shy on offensive talent. You know, they got their Jamal Murray's, Michael Porter Jr.'s, their Nikola Jokic's, but Jack is just someone that's going to do all the dirty work. Um, you know, really, and not to say that he's necessarily going to be thrown out in lineups with the Jokic, but you think about the sort of guy you want to have next to a Jokic, it's a guy that can be a help room protector. It's a guy that can rebound the ball, get out, be an opportunistic cutter. And, you know, I th- I, the, the main thing for Jack is, you know, hopefully knocking down the three at a, a decent rate. But Jack does all those other things so well. You even look at his play in the boomers just before he came over for summer league. And, you know, he was one of the best players on that team uh, j- just out of virtue of doing the little things, you know, he, even I remember there was one of the games where, you know, the team, the opposition team, I think it was China were pressing or doing some sort of zone or something different. And Jack was sort of playing inside and just dunking everything, you know, finding little gaps in the seams and, and stuff like that. So Jack, someone, as I said, he's a fantastic athlete, uh, really smart player. And I think, like you said, he's six, seven, six, eight, but he plays so much bigger than that. Like he's so physical He's so strong. He has a great sense of verticality on both ends, like as a, a, a shot blocker and a, and a finisher inside. And that's going to help him play the four or the five, I reckon, even at the NBA level. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't play four years at Duke University for Coach K without you know, knowing the game and being a very cerebral player who understands angles and space and you know, understanding your strengths as well, I think is a key part of all that um you know he's not going to be a guy who's going to go out there and get you 15 points a game but he could get you 15 rebounds a game um (laughs) you know he's just someone that i think not to get too into the cliches again but you know that kind of glue guy that fifth guy in your unit who doesn't demand the ball he doesn't need the ball to be effective like he could be have a really effective game and score zero points you know and those sorts of guys are, are pretty rare um, and I think it's a great opportunity for Jack to find his little gap in the market, so to speak. I think the other factor that really helps him um, is the fact that he's just such a good guy and good teammate. Like I was looking through some quotes back in his Duke days of, you know, why he, why was he a Duke captain? Why, you know, was he held in such high esteem, you know, in a program that was just cycling through NBA talents and, you know, all the, all the players would say this guy is just like the best damn teammate I've ever had. Like, he's so good. Um, and so when you think about guys that you want to fill out your roster with, uh, you know, that has a big part to play. You even look at, you know, players like Joe Ingles at 34, 35 coming off an ACL or Aaron Baines trying to make a comeback or Delhi. you know, sure, there's more talented guys, you know, out there in the ether that, you know, teams could sign. But these guys have a history, have a reputation, and you know they're going to come in, they're going to be content with their role, whatever it may be, and they're going to be leaders and help foster that culture. And that's something, even though Jack's you know, not a veteran yet, he's a young player that displays those qualities and is someone that's going to help shape the team and the culture regardless of what his on-court role is. Yeah, and... Going back to what we were talking about with Luke Travers and people that would look out a place in Crocodile Dundee, I think he's another one. 
<laughs> Very Australian, yeah. Oh, people, Denver Nugget fans are going to love him. If they if he gets any core time, they're going to be all over him. There's no way that you can't be a Jack White fan. And I think, you know, lastly on Jack White, it's just this is, I guess, the little bow on top of the amazing comeback he's had after that Achilles injury, which was, I think... And even like when it happened, it was a pretty terrible week for Australian basketball because he did it. And then I think not even a week later, Dejan Vasilovic did the same injury. Um, and you always fear the worst with an Achilles injury. It's just such a debilitating injury for an athlete, especially in a, a basketball athlete, you know, with all the jumping and changes of direction and pace. So for him to come all the way back from that, be a really effective player for Melbourne United in what was a successful season for them. I know it didn't end the way they wanted it to, but I think overall still a pretty good season for them. And then just this final reward, it's just, you can't help but, you know, really cheer for the guy. Yeah. Couldn't happen to a better guy. It's remarkable. Obviously, you know, you can't think of many worse injuries as a, as a basketball player, or any sports person than what he had to go through. And you can only imagine the recovery process, but it's coming out on the other side. And I think he's every bit, the same athlete that he was before really he's been fantastic so all credit to him and the hard work he's put in and it's obviously you know paid dividends now another Aussie that I think had a fairly impressive summer league and maybe a, a more limited role um, obviously not with the same benefit of getting a two-way deal but I think McCool Maker for Chicago another NBL next star from the season just gone um, had a couple of games where I think people stood up and went oh, you know this kid's pretty good yeah, another guy that comes in with, you know, a fair bit of reputation or at least name value behind him, you know, obviously, you know, Thon Maker having having his time in the NBA and, you know, all, all the makers really, you know, had a lot of exposure growing up as junior players. McCaw was a very highly ranked high school player. So teams are familiar with the name and I'm sure would have been very curious to see, you know, what this guy looks like because he'd been really off the map uh, prior to, you know, his stint in Sydney, you know, he, had that time in Howard, barely played, was very injured towards the end of his high school career. Um, but, you know, finished the season off really well with Sydney, was really productive on, you know, a team that went all the way. And then, you know, he came to the Chicago Bulls for Summer League. Uh, you know, I don't think many people thought too much about it or, or thought that he, you know, would maybe do too much. But as his opportunity grew and he got more comfortable in the setting, he was really good. He put it in some really good statistical performances. I think he's a player that suits the summer league setting really well. He's someone that can, you know, put up a few highlights. You can give him the ball and he can go to work a little bit. You know, he's someone that stands out with his athleticism as well. Um, and yeah, he, he really helped his stock. I think um, I don't know whether he'll, you know, get a two way or anything of that nature out of his performance, but it definitely, helped his stock in the eyes of NBA evaluators. And it'll be interesting to see what his next move is because, you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty about whether he'll be back to Sydney. Um, I, th I would love to see him back in Sydney. I thought it was a fantastic situation for him. We saw how much he grew as a player over his time there. And obviously just good to have a young, exciting talent in the NBL of, of his nature. But uh, it seems like he's a little bit set on, you know, maybe the, the US route, G League, something like that. So we'll see whether his performance over in the States, you know, shows or bears any fruit. I, I would also like to see him back in Sydney, just personally. Um, he, he is technically signed, right? Because the two-star, uh, two-star, the uh, next star contracts are for two years, right? 
Yeah, that's um, that's how it's been relayed onto the public. That's that's our understanding of how the the next star contracts work. Now, obviously, you know, there's every oh, next star yeah. situation has been very different. You know, some guys, you know, I mean, it it's it's a little bit ambiguous, and we don't know exactly how it works. Um, you know, you even look at someone like Mojave; he changed teams. Um, I guess you know could make sense in the sense that you know he's technically contracted to the league but yeah. um, you know every situation is different and I'm sure if he really wanted out and and he wanted to go to a different situation and then that will probably occur yeah um, and again you look at Sydney's uh, roster and the way they've put it together they've just signed Tim Saws their uh, third important center they've got Geordie Hunter coming back obviously he was really good before his injury and then you've got Xavier Cooks at the four as well um, you know, it'll be interesting to see where McCaw sits amongst that group if he is to come back and whether he looks at that and thinks, yeah, I had a great year, I won a championship, but I want to really uh, show what I'm made of and, and inherit a bigger role. So we'll see whether he comes back to Sydney, whether he looks at going to different NBL teams or whether he tries to showcase himself in a different league or setting altogether. Um, and the other, I think Bull Quall was also on the Bull Summer League team, but not quite the same level exposure, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if Bull ended up actually playing. Obviously, that was reported quite early on. I think Liam Santa Maria had mentioned that he was going to be with the Chicago Bulls for Summer League. There's a connection there. One of the Chicago Bulls, I believe, assistant coaches is Australian. So that's where a few of our connections came from there. And uh, another guy that also was on that Bulls roster was a Calder Gack. So they really brought in a whole bunch of guys. Bull definitely came over and, and spent time with the Bulls organization. So it's great that they're looking at these guys and, you know, whether it comes, you know, for any, it creates opportunities for them immediately or not, it's great exposure for them. It's great opportunities for them as they develop their careers. And yeah, just so cool to see so many Australians over at Summer League. I'm hurriedly trying to find summer league stats while you were talking. <laughs> um, I've uh, no, that's a terrible page. It doesn't let me filter. Never mind. Um, yeah, I totally forgot about AK Gak as well. So that, I guess that makes two Team Australia's because my next note here was Team Australia in uh, Phoenix with DJ Vasiljevic, Joe Luella, Chulan, Duop Reith all getting various amounts of court time. Yeah, that was a really cool situation. I thought they all did fantastically well in the minutes they got. Um, you look at DJ, for instance, you know, we all know that he's a world-class shooter, you know, just shoots the crap out of the ball. Um, sat for the first few games, got limited opportunities in the last few games, but even then he managed to hit a whole bunch of threes and look really good. Uh, he, he's one that falls into that sort of, you know, difficult type of player where he's like a six-foot-two um, shooting guard, Obviously, you know, shoots it really well and NBA teams love shooting, but he's not necessarily a two-way player or, or someone that really has that the physical dimensions to be super versatile. And that's going to limit him in terms of getting NBA opportunities. But it was great to see him do his thing and prove his worth for the Sun Summer League team. As for the bigs, they they both had their times to shine. I thought Jop Reith was fantastic in the, in the first couple of games until he, he injured himself, unfortunately, which, you know, sort of, put a, a stall to some of that momentum. And then JLA, we know how great he is. He, um, he, he had some productive games, especially towards the end of the tournament, but it is really hard when you're a big man coming into a summer league situation, you know, everyone's gunning, everyone's trying to show themselves off. Um, you know, how much of the ball are you going to get? How 
much you're going to be, be able to display your skill sets. It is kind of hard. So when you consider all that, I think they both did really well. Um, but I guess next steps for them, Vasilovic signed with the Kings already. So he'll probably be back there. Reef, I think, is still signed with the Hawks. Reef is a free agent. And uh. that'll be an interesting one to watch, actually. The, the murmurings that I've heard recently um, have not been entirely positive about his return. So we'll, we'll await to see what happens there. Um, and then, of course, JLA, of course, is is leaving as well. Yeah. 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 There's something about the Hawks and big name Australian centers and doesn't quite work for multiple years but obviously dang Adele previously as well it's hard it's hard to um to get and retain and get the most out of these guys i definitely it seems to me like if if drop is not returning i think they'll go with an import five so it'll be interesting to see how they figure that situation out but um yeah drop had a fantastic season by all accounts really successful for the hawks and was a big part of what they yeah. Did I'm sure they you know working hard and, and would love to have him back. Um, but you know, he's a guy that helped his case so much. You know, he's someone that I think scales up to high levels of play really well because he, you know, just does what he does really well. He's a great big man shooter, um, you know, has that length to to be a presence at the rim on both ends. And you know, I think you know, I don't know what other opportunities he got on the table, but I'm sure that he's certainly helped his career prospects with the season he had last season. Yeah, and I guess that this is a good segue into NBL free agency because there's a bit I want to get through in this part. Um, I want to start with the champions, the Sydney Kings. Oh, that feels good to say. Um, <laughs> there's there's no um, neutrality on this show. Um, but obviously when you are a team like the Kings with the names that they brought in, it was going to be hard to retain them all regardless. But obviously paying for that success... You know, Jabril Martin has already signed in Israel. We heard the reports from Chris Pongrass throughout summer league that, yeah, we'd love to have Ian Clark and Jalen Adams back, but like the, the nature of the business is we just can't afford them. And Adams specifically, league MVP, one and done, maybe one of the greatest one and done import seasons ever. Um, but getting getting offers in Asia, apparently five, six times more than what the Kings can offer. But and I saw the the Tim Suarez, Suarez uh, news today um not official but looks like it's gonna get over the line i think they've done pretty well to replenish their import stocks considering you know the the battle they would have obviously had to to retain that star trio sydney especially with this current ownership and and group that's running the team they put together a really good team and they recruit really well they obviously have some money behind them i know they created this big narrative that, you know, they were under the cap last season, but, you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out that that team on paper last year was like elite, you know, and sometimes you just have to appreciate, you know, a group while it's there. We know that, you know, imports come and go, and especially when you win and do as well as they did, you know, it's going to bump up people's price tags. So it's unfortunate that we don't see those guys back, but how great was it that we had the talent we did from Sydney in the league last season? And they have done an admirable job of, replacing them you look at Derek Walton Jr you know this guy is going to be one of the marquee point guards in the league he's a really well-rounded offensive player and you know I think he's going to be one of the best point guards going around he's going to give a lot of teams trouble uh Justin Simon we know what he can do that was a fantastic pickup he actually had a really good season last year in Europe and it looked like he was sort of going to keep 
elevating up the levels there and, you know, maybe getting some EuroLeague interest. So I don't think that Sydney got him lightly. You know, I think they really targeted him and, and splashed a lot to, to get him along across the line. Um, and then Suarez as well. He's a bit more of a role player, but he, you know, he's someone that is going to be, um, you know, a really pivotal piece for them in terms of making it all work. Because I think my biggest question mark for the way that they've constructed this team so far is you've got two non-shooters. You've got Justin Simon and you've got Xavier Cooks. You're going to have to really surround that with some spacing to, to make it work offensively. Yeah, and obviously, Jerome Martin, one of the best big man shooters in the league, not being there. And he obviously played up a spot from the projection preseason with Jordan Hunter going down with the injury and not playing at all. But, you know, and McCool Maker as well, another one who can play the five and stretch the floor out. So you look at, I guess, that roster right now, and even I'd argue three non-shooters because I don't really know. I assume Jordan Hunter is the starting center right now, and I don't really think he's much of a stretch presence. No, well, he, he's been working on his shot a little bit in the NBA one competition and he's been shooting threes a little bit, but I don't think that that's going to necessarily translate to the NBA level right away. It's a different beast. Um, for me, I feel like if Suarez, you know, as we assume gets across the line, I think they're going to start him just because of the fit. You know, it's really pivotal that they're going to have that stretch five to, to make everything work and, um, you know, Geordie's Hunter's going to be a, a fantastic luxury to have off the bench, of course. Um, but this is what Sydney do. They have the star power, but they also have the depth. And, I, you know, I think Geordie Hunter coming back is going to be massive. They picked up quite Noy at a, at a bargain rate. And, you know, he's someone that has a lot of upside himself. You know, you've got Glover back, um, you know, Bales and Galloway even developing quietly behind the scenes there. There's just so much to like about what Sydney are doing right now. Um, just, yeah, one through 11, they're just super talented, super stacked. I believe Galloway is upgraded now. He's a full contracted player, I think. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. Galloway's, you know, I don't know if you've seen any of the NBA one highlights, but he's such a super athlete. He can shoot the ball really well as well. And, you know, I think by the time his opportunity comes and he did have, you know, some limited opportunities last season, um, but, you know, give it a season or two. This kid is quietly one of the most promising young Australian players going around. Would you say he's got NBA athleticism? <laughs> I would say that he has NBA athleticism. These Galloway brothers, they're um they jump out of the gym. Because they were they were obviously both on the uh the under not what age group was it? Nineteens? Well, Galloway Cup played in nineteens, yeah. And he was he was sensational. It was great that he um came back from the States because he was in the, the States for high school for a bit. He came back and um, managed to play for them. And he was, if I can recall correctly, I believe, you know, there was Dyson and a Calder Gak were, you know, yep. mainstays on that team. And then Galloway was like the the third guy on that team that really stood out. Um, yeah. He, he's someone, he, he, got, he has to develop his hand a little bit more so they can do a bit more off off the dribble on the perimeter. But other than that, there's he's got so much going for him. I, I really like him. Yeah, and Bawali Bale's another one on that team as well. Yeah, and he, I mean, whenever Bawali hit the court, he looked like a serviceable backup already. Like, you know, he's so shifty with the ball, you know, um, maybe not NBA athleticism when it, t- it comes to, uh, to yamming on people, but he's, you know, pretty quick, pretty shifty. Um, and, you know, I think he's learning to, run an offense at an NBL level and doing all, all the little things. But again, another really talented youngster. 
And you wouldn't have caught me saying this a year ago, but I do think sneakily one of the key losses is going to be Tom Vodanovic going back to New Zealand. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, New Zealand are really prioritizing getting these Kiwis back, but, you know, it's to, to Sydney's loss because he put in some really valuable minutes for Sydney. He's someone, again, you know, he's not like the highest upside signing you might pick up, but he's someone that does a couple of things really well. You know, he's really physical. He shoots three at a high level. And, you know, it's the sort of guy on a talented team, you're just having that pick and pop option is, you know, super handy. So, yeah, they, they would quietly will miss him quite a lot. Now, one of the more interesting off-season sagas in recent memory I can remember has kind of been this back and forth between, well, you know, a bit of a he said, she said with Josh Adams and the Jack Jumpers. Yeah, that uh, this whole saga that's played out over the last couple of weeks is really, I don't know, for me, it kind of burst the bubble a little bit of, you know, Tassie just being this... Um, you know, this super tight-knit, you know, perfect team. Um, you know, not not to they, that they weren't, you know, they were they were great and obviously, you know, did some fantastic things last season. Um, but, you know, it's some of the comments, even by Scott Roth, allude to, um, you know, maybe some potential challenges with Josh Adams and his personality over the season. And, you know, he that, that's just the way that Josh Adams was. You know, I think people you know, rightfully remember his heroics in the in the final series and how he sort of elevated himself into, you know, an elite import, you know, level as, as that season wound up. Um, but as you, if you think about the season as it, as it unfolded, the regular season, he was someone who was kind of hit and miss. You know, he was a volume scorer. He sort of, on a team that was full of fundamental people that just play the game the right way, he was that more volatile X factor that, had to make sort of more outrageous decisions to be that dynam- dynamic offensive player. Um, and with that, I think, you know, comes a certain personality as well. And, you know, I think Tazzy, you know, maybe uh, for the most part, it, it was for better more than for worse and it all worked out really well. Um, but, you know, it's not to say that they're, you know, it's all sunshine and rainbows either. And it's unfortunate that Josh Adams came and spoke out about, the contract situation in the way that he did and that he didn't feel super great about it. But you listen to Scott Roth and the way that he explains it, and it all sounds pretty reasonable. You know, these off-seasons unfold super quickly. You know, if you don't give a response, they have to do their due diligence and move on and, and find different options. Now, I think everyone involved, whether it's fans, the team, etc., everyone wanted to see Josh Adams back. You know, like he was, you know, the most wanted man this off-season. Everyone loves him. Um, and I feel like if, you know, if Roth had the opportunity to, he, he would renege on, you know, the, the deal they've given to Milton Doyle and, and have him back. But, you know, you have to go about things in a certain way and, and do things with integrity. And if you verbally committed to, to signing a player, then you have to honor that. Um, so it's unfortunate that Adams isn't back. You know, it sounds like both sides kind of wanted it to happen. Um, but Milton Doyle is a good player as well. And I, I think it'd be really interesting to see whether Adams ends up on a different NBL team. Well, you've just taken all my discussion point. <laughs> I was literally just about to go. You say, so, yeah, obviously, yeah, referring to uh, Josh Adams's management, or well, this is how the story goes, I guess, not declining the offer, but stalling it. Uh, or, uh, I, I guess there was a bit of a decline in there. And then they turn around a week later and accept it. But obviously in that time, they've given the deal to former Brooklyn Met Milton Doyle. And there's 
the way you approach it, right? There's some people that theorize, well, you know, this is Josh Adams. He was your star player. You, you've reneged on that deal with Doyle a hundred times out of a hundred. But from my point of view, it's like you're a year old. Is that really the reputation you want to build in the marketplace a year into your tenure? And I, I, I tend to think not. And it's not like, like Adams was good for them. Let's not get that wrong. But I'm not entirely sure if Adams is that like can't miss keep at all costs, even if it means like screwing your reputation globally. You know, I, you don't break everything to keep him, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I guess I alluded to this just before, but I feel like Josh was very fortunate in the sense that he got hot at the right time. And, you know, you can allude, you can, you can sort of say, well, you know, I guess he's just got the clutch gene and he comes up in big moments, et cetera. And that all may be true. And, you know, I do put a lot of weight in his finals performances. He was absolutely insane. Um, but if you look at it over the course of the season, he wasn't that player all season. You know, I no. think we, you know, sort of have look, look at the recency bias a little bit there. Um, and while I think he would have been the preferable guy to bring in next season, as opposed to Doyle, Doyle's a really good player too. And, you know, I think a, you have to go about running a team in a certain way. And it's, you know, they, they sort of the way you, you know, do deals and the way that you run your team um, you know, has an, an ongoing effect, you know, you can't, you know, you, you will develop a reputation if you, you know, are someone to dishonor deals and, and go about things in a certain way and it can bite you in the ass down the line. So I think it's very important to do things the right way. And again, if you, if you're weighing up the risks is the drop off from Adams to Doyle so significant that you're willing to throw it all out the window to, to clamor and have Adams back, or do you just roll with Doyle? And I think, they've probably made the right decision to roll with Doyle in this instance. Yeah. Apart from that, the team is pretty much the same as last year. Josh Majette comes back. The only other change is Mikhail McIntosh is out and Rashad Kelly, who I know nothing about, is their third import. Yeah. it's a, it's a, I mean, there are subtle changes to last season. I think they've addressed um, certain needs and certain deficiencies they had last year. Obviously, Mikhail McIntosh, um, you know, didn't really cut it last season, didn't really fill the gap that they needed. And, and Kelly is someone that is a bit more of a 3-4. He's more athletic, defensively minded, and, um, you know, will play a role for them. But, it, you know, again, I think, you know, in the same way that I talk about Josh Adams and them getting right at the right time, and obviously Tazzy had a really long streak of great play even to make the finals. Um, and you have to give him every bit of credit for that. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll be the first person to admit I was guilty of th- thinking, oh, you know, they've just had a, you know, a good streak of games and, you know, over a larger sample size, they'll quiet down. Like you just look at them on paper. They're not that good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I put my hand up for all that stuff. But at the same time, I, I, I tend to feel a little bit like I want to say it again this season. Um, <laughs> I say that at my own peril, but. I look at the roster on paper and I do worry that um, the way they play will not be quite as effective as it was last season. And offensively in particular, unless you've got a guy like Jack McVay constantly stepping up to the plate offensively and being like a second, third option, there's a lot of onus on a guy like Milton Doyle to be, you know, a top five scorer in the league. Um, you know, Majette is 
not an efficient or high volume scorer. Kelly's not that guy either. Um, you know, and you, you go through the roster guys like McDaniel, Jared Bairstow, Krizlovich, you know, then they're, they're not going to make the difference offensively as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether they can carry over their success from last season, or it was, you know, a bit of a one hit wonder. Um, I do think they're going to be solid just because they play the right way and play hard and, Obviously, Roth values that continuity so much and that culture and, you know, people that buy in that he was willing to run it back with such a similar roster. Um, but, you know, it, that has its pros and cons and it can only get you so far as well. So um, I make some mild criticisms at my own peril. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a, a proper preseason podcast at some point in the coming months but if you remember back to last season when we had you on wait i had you on there's one person um yeah well, we were talking about you know cairns and tazzy they're making up numbers you know it, mm. there's not a lot of what you would call raw talent on this team um and look i don't think it was particularly untrue i think we just didn't value them correctly i don't know it was just not year all around Oh, even they could have won every game last season. If you asked me on paper, is that a talented <laughs> team? I would say no, not in the not in the lens of an NBL team. Like they, this is, you know, guys that, you know, would struggle to make a roster otherwise. But to their credit, they were larger than some of their parts. They did things the right way and it got them really far. So, you know, hats off to them. Um, yeah, I mean everyone was shocked and um sticking to your jets yeah exactly right (laughs) um adelaide they've just they've they've said stuff doing our own research we're just going to copy other people's homework (laughs) yeah i mean it's one way to build a team and i guess it's a pretty safe way to as well um you'd imagine there'd be some sort of premium um when it comes to poaching you know established nbl players that you know are going to be good in this league um but, you know, if Adelaide could reach in their pockets and make it happen, all credit to them. I think, um, you know, it's just exciting to see Adelaide put together a good roster because, you know, they were really underwhelming last season. They really weren't good. Um, yeah, they kind of sleptwalked through the, sleepwalked through the season um, and the imports they brought in last year as well. Like a lot of good role-playing imports, but nothing that really jumped off the page. They, they, they just kind of made up numbers last year, if anything. Yeah, I felt like the whole team was a little bit cathartic last season. They just it felt like a bit of an uninspired group. Um, but then, of course, the you know the biggest thing that people will point out is they just didn't really have that import firepower that you need in this league. You know, Dusty Hannes didn't really cut it. Um, you know, Todd Withers was extremely quiet as well. Uh, but you know, we know what Robert Franks can do. We know what Antonius Cleveland can do. It's exciting a to see them remain in the league just in general. Um, but you know, overall, I think they're going to be a really good fit together. I think Franks in particular is someone that is going to really address their need for shot creation and, and pure scoring ability. That was something that they really lacked last season. Um, and then it seems as though Adelaide are, are chasing a third import that is going to be, you know, a, a go-to scorer as well. So they're going to look very different from last season. I think it's going to benefit all their existing role players as well. Guys like McCarron, guys like Sunday Detch, you know, they're going to start slotting into roles that are more uh, suitable for their skill sets and they're going to start looking really good as well. 
Um, and yeah, I think they're going to be a potential potential finals team. And obviously, uh, what was it? Fans player of the year, Kai Soto returning. Yeah, I mean, he has a few fans going around. This is this is why the uh, the NBL is trying to get Asian players into the league, and there's no one with a greater or more fervent following than uh, Kai Soto. Um, you know, you, I found it so funny to see, um, you know, any highlight or anything to do with him, you know, posted on the NBL media channels and just seeing it flooded with uh, Filipino support. Uh, was It was kind of cool in a way. And, and, you know, if you throw out all the hyperbole that comes from those sort of corners, you know, I'm sure they think he's the next um, Jokic or Embiid. <laughs> Um, no. you know, if you look at it on an even keeled thing and you don't sort of try to be contrary to that and go, oh, this guy sucks. Like he was actually a, a really solid young player. Um, I thought he had some really great moments last season. I don't think he's necessarily going to be, you know, an NBA prospect. You just don't see many seven, three, seven, four guys make the league these days. Um, no. but yeah, it seems as though he'll be back. I think he'll be back. Um, and yeah, hopefully has a bit more of an expanded role. Yeah, it's just you see that type of guy come into the league and you immediately think human victory cigar. Um, <laughs> it's it's just well, least that's where my mind went straight away. But yeah, I think once Adelaide's season kind of went down the drain, um, he got more opportunities. And yeah, the bits I saw of him, he actually looked like a reasonably serviceable NBL big guy. Like he had a yeah, he had some games where he showed some pretty nice touch. Um, he's athletic. He's a bit immobile, and I'm like that's just going to be the, the case with a guy that big. Um, but no, I think he he definitely showed that he's more than just a you know a, a a YouTube sensation. You know, just someone to get clicks and engagement. I think he was a legitimate player at points. Maybe that is partly boosted by Adelaide sucking later <laughs> in the year and just you know not giving up entirely, but. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see how he goes um, w- with a fresh start this year. Mm, yeah, no, he's definitely more than a gimmick. And I think, you know, you, you put into perspective how young he is as well. Um, I think something that's very exciting in a way is to think that, you know, Kai is not a next star. He's, you know, through the Asian player rule. And, you know, these are guys that don't necessarily just have to stay for one year or two. Um, you know, the future of the league, you know, even here, uh, Brian Gorgian was talking and he re- reiterates it over and over. I remember him most recently talking about it after one of the Boomers games um, and saying, talking about his vision for this, um, you know, league, uh, almost like a Euro league where they combine Australian and Asian leagues and, and have it all sort of intertwine um, is that, you know, the NBL are looking to, have these Asian players and, you know, have Asian talent as a part of the NBL's league. So when you look at Kai Soto, he's not just going to come and go and be some, you know, below average player, um, you know, as a 19 year old, but he's someone that a team can really nurture and help grow. And, you know, he could be, you know, someone who in his prime could be a really significant NBL player and one of the better centers in the league. Yeah. Now, we've kind of already touched on this point, but I'll re-bring it up um, when we talk about Joe Luella Chul. But yeah, a couple of, I guess, league stalwarts. You know, JLA, he's made it clear he wants to pursue opportunities in Europe. But also, Finn Delaney is not coming back. 
Yeah, it's again, this is one of the challenges and we know that this is great. It's great for the league. It's great for uh, our local players that they're able to catapult themselves from the NBL to these other opportunities. Um, But it is such a shame that we don't have the budgets to be able to retain these guys because that's ultimately the factor that is, you know, alluring them to other leagues around the world. Um, Now, in the case of of JLA, you know, he's going to be a big loss. He was, you know, a major piece of United season last season and had come such a long way with that program, you know, since he he signed a couple of years ago. Um, As for Finn Delaney, I think that guy just needed a fresh start. You know, it's been such a brutal couple of years for the breakers. And I know they're going to be in a, a different, more normal situation next year. Um, but, you know, things were tough and he, he really struggled last season. We know how talented he is, you know, as a young and up and coming player and he re- really sort of plateaued or almost regressed a little bit in his role last season. Um, so mm. I think this move to Germany is going to be really good for him. Uh, I've spoken to some people in Europe and he's supposedly under a really great coach. So I think we're going to see it as a great move for his career. Um, and, you know, maybe you come back to the, the league in a year or two and be an even superior player to the one prior. Yeah, it always felt odd throughout the season when they were talking about, because he was obviously off contracts quite vote, uh, quite publicly. And the commentary talking about how, you know, other NBL clubs should be looking at this guy, which is true. But it just always felt odd to me to see him play for another team. Like, it didn't feel right. No, it's especially the case with those New Zealand players, right? Like, you know, even you think of Corey Webster, you know, played for the Breakers for so long. It's going to be a bit uh, surreal seeing him in a Perth Wildcats uniform as um, as close as he came to, to wearing it many years ago. Um, you know, it's, it's just something about those players, you know, from New Zealand wearing the Breakers uniform where, you know, it just feels right. Um, so, yeah, it would have been really weird to see him playing for a different NBL team and... Um, you know, while other teams did pursue him, you know, I think this um, this opportunity offseason it will be really good. And obviously, we mentioned JLA, not coming back to Melbourne. Melbourne are in kind of a, a state of flux right now because they lose to LA, they lose Jack White. Delhi had his NBA auditions. I'm not sure anything's going to come of those. I'd be I'd be very surprised if they did. If I'm being brutally honest, um, but yeah, they they're kind of having to to retool on the fly a little bit here. Dean Vickerman must have such a tough job right now with so many moving parts and uncertainties. Um, you know, it's really tough. You you look at their roster and they do have A players locked away, you know, and they've got um, Huck Porty obviously as well coming back. Um, but, you know, with Delavidova up in the air, as I said, I don't, as you said, I don't think, you know, that he will necessarily get an NBA gig, but if he does, that changes so much. Um, just because he was on such a significant salary that it changes the ball game for Melbourne in terms of A, their roster needs, but B, their finances. Um, so they could go after a totally different tier of players. So they're going to look really different to last season. Uh, obviously, they weren't very import heavy last season with Caleb Garda. Uh, but you know, I think they're going to look very different this season. They're going to start bringing in some of those uh, younger players, your David Aquarius, you know, they've got McQuarch Malach coming through as well as a new signing. Um, so they're going to have some fresh faces and they're, they're going to be really good. Um, but, you know, the the thing that's really going to decide their season is, you know, these imports they're going to pick up and 
Um, you know, it's still very much up in the air. And I'm really excited to see Isaac Humphreys after a pretty up and down couple of years in Adelaide. I think this is going to be a really good situation for him and, and for the team as well. I think it just makes a lot of sense for everybody involved. Now, if you know, I, th- I don't know just how much people remember, but, you know, Isaac, when he was healthy in Adelaide, was a beast. Like, he was so good. And you think about some of these, you know, Australian big men that are going over and getting, you know, massive opportunities overseas. Isaac was playing, you know, admittedly in a small uh, sample size of time, he was playing at a near MVP level. So, you know, if he's able to get anywhere back near that, he's obviously going to be a massive piece for Melbourne. Um, and then I think when you look at it from a team building perspective, then, you know, he looks like he's in great shape, but it is a big injury he's coming off. And, you know, there is a level of uncertainty surrounding that. Um, he's going to have a nice little cushion there behind him in Ariel Huckporty. You know, I think that's someone that people... You know, I think some people would argue that maybe Huck Porty should have inherited the starting role this season, given how good he was last year. And while I think that's pretty reasonable, it's hard to do that, just given, uh, you know, certain issues like fouls and turnovers that he's still sort of working through. Um, but, you know, say Isaac Humphreys goes down for five games or something, I would feel very comfortable about Huck Porty uh, sliding into that starting position while he's out. And so I think that United are going to feel pretty comfortable with their center rotation this season. Well, like coming off the season that Humphreys had two years ago when he was uh, partnered with Josh Gideon, you know, maybe Gideon made him look better than what he was. But I think, you know, Humphreys was a huge part of that team as well. I, I had him on my plane to Tokyo. I, I was very comfortable including him in my Olympic squad, or at least as a, um, at worst in the top 15. So, you know, one of those three replacement guys. Um, uh, it was kind of a shame because I had huge hopes for him last season. And, you know, he had a pretty ordinary start to the year before the injury. Um, but I- I'm really hopeful that he's going to get back to that point where he is in contention for the Boomers again, because I think he just offers something that we probably don't have from a national team perspective outside of, like maybe Aaron Baines, just that really big body and that interior presence. So I, I'm hopeful that he's going to get back to that level because, like I said, I'm I was ready. I was ready to stamp his passport to Tokyo. <laughs> I think that's where I was sitting as well at that point in time. He was so good, especially on the defensive end. He was blocking everything. Um, yeah, just such a massive impact in that sense. I think you brought up a really good point with Josh Giddy, though. I think. You know, if you compare Isaac, you know, to say, for instance, JLA the season before with Melbourne United, you know, JLA is someone that could get his own bucket. You know, you just dump the ball down to him, you know, he'll shoot threes, he'll work, work you in the block, like, you know, very aggressive offensively. And Isaac's more of like a role guy and he can score in the post a little bit, he can shoot a little bit. Um, but, you know, he depends a bit more on that pick and roll combination and, that's something that I found was an issue for United was that Della Vidova, for as good as he was, you know, he was a fantastic player last season. He's not necessarily a big driving threat in the pick and roll. So he doesn't command a lot of gravity. And um, even though he is a really smart passer, he's not someone that, you know, you just spam pick and rolls with and, you know, you play that two man game with the big successfully. I don't think he's really that sort of guard. So I think, It'll be interesting to see how Isaac is impacted by that guard combination um, 
or, you know, if Daly's gone off and he's got to deal with the Kings or something like that, then whether the guy they bring in is more suitable to get the best out of Isaac. Yeah, and look, Delhi doesn't have that NBA athleticism anymore, does he? <laughs> no, he's, um, he's, yeah, he won't be dunking on anyone anytime soon. Or, Some would or... argue he never had it. <laughs> well, that's the thing, but he did have the grit and he'll always have the grit. So uh, I'll give him some credit for that. And look, I don't know. Again, he is such a, like a well-renowned vet that it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up getting this like third string point guard spot in Sacramento, but um, you know, if Melbourne get him back, then obviously, you know, it's, it's good to have uh, someone of his caliber in the league. Um, now Perth missed the finals once since the bronze age and, you know, everything, <laughs> everything's falling down over there. Um, it's just a weird season for them. And they've obviously mutually parted with Scott Morrison. John really comes in. Absolute legend of the the local scene, former. Uh, oh God, I don't get this wrong because uh, I haven't got his Wikipedia in front of me. Townsville, and did he play for the Razorbacks? I feel like he did. I feel it's, like he did. Yeah. Yep. He just screams Razor. I really should have researched this, but no, like it's a, a fresh start for Perth because they had a for them a disaster season. Yeah, it's it's pretty comical just how high the bar is for Perth and. Um, you know, it only took one, not even necessarily bad, but mediocre season, you know, for, you know, heads to roll and, um, you know, a, lo- a lot of exasperated fans expecting greatness every year. Um, but look, fair enough, you know, Perth, you know, do so well every season that it, it's fair enough to expect a, a high level of play from them. And I, even though Scott Morrison was the ultimate um, scapegoat for them last season, I'm not saying that he was a fantastic coach by any stretch. Um, but I think he was in an unenviable position with that. A, those expectations coming in as a uh, import coach, uh, but also the fact that, you know, that team, I think on paper was probably one of the weaker ones that Perth had had over recent years and um, trying to, you know, figure all that out and make it work, especially I think law went down towards the end of the season there when they were trying to make a large last ditch effort, um, you know, made it very challenging for them. And so, they did need to make some changes. I think, you know, it was in everyone's best interest that ScoMo moved on and there's no greater antithesis to, um, you know, what people perceived as issues with ScoMo is uh, getting John really in who, you know, has a fantastic reputation. Everyone loves him. He's local. Um, and he comes in with a very different basketball philosophy as well. So um, yeah, a bit, a bit of turnover with Perth this off season. They've, um, brought in a guy like Corey Webster, which, you know, you would look to prior management and be like, oh, that's not a very Perth Wildcatsy move necessarily, even though they did, uh, you know, attempt to sign him all those years ago. It's, um, I think people sort of perceive, you know, a player like Corey in that sort of way. Um, but look, I, I think Perth, you know, will, will get back on the wagon. And, you know, I think the the next couple of signings, the last two import signings are going to be really important. Um, you know, in terms of their successes this season. But, you know, with Travis coming back and, you know, some of the guys they have down the depth chart, I think they're going to bounce back and they're going to be all right again this season. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, Vic Law not returning this season. So it's going to be interesting to see how they target that other import. Um, don't, don't really know where it all went wrong for that Cotton Law pairing. Because on, and again, we're, we're huge proponents of on paper, us too. Um, 
But on paper, that looked like a surefire um, MVP level one-two punch. And for parts of the season, they did play like that, but it just never really quite seemed to gel together in its entirety. And maybe part of that was the coach, like, was Scott Morrison. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like there were some moments last season where you'd watch Perth and go, oh, this is just, it's not, it's not Perth. Like there, there were things that would happen and, you know, they'd, they'd look like they were close to breaking point, you know, just terrible decisions, you know, Vic Law playing hero ball at times. I distinctly remember a game against Sydney where he was taking shots uh, at, at Kudos Bank Arena where I think Perth were down two and I, he took a three with about 10 seconds left and everyone was like, well, what are you doing? Um, just a very un-Perth-like season. Um, but I mean, look, it, I'm not going to cry too many tears over them. They've missed the playoffs once in, what, 35 years. So um, they're, they're returning Brass Cotton. They get Luke Travers back for a season. Um, yeah, I, I, nothing much is going to change, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I think people should give Perth a little bit of a break. I think they're allowed to miss the playoffs once in a blue moon. It's not like they were... You know, wooden spooners or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I, th- I do think there's a point, and you mentioned it a little bit, you know, I think people always associated Perth with, you know, a certain brand of basketball and playing the right way. And, um, you know, I think they maybe felt a little less like a system team last season. If anything, Tasmania were, were more the Perth of the, the NBL last season than Perth were. So, you know, maybe really is... Um, appointment is somewhat indicative of their priorities in trying to get back to that um those philosophies and you know we know that some of the pieces they have there already you know have experienced a great deal of success and any team with Bryce Cotton you know at the helm is is a good chance and on any night so yeah I I think they'll um everything will be right over in Perth so what you're saying is Scott Roth was the real big loss Maybe, maybe he was. He was. Um, he was of that that tree. Um, that tree of coaching staff. Um, obviously, I'm. I'm totally drawing a blank on um, Perth's prior. Trevor Gleeson. Uh, <laughs> oh. There we go. How, how could I forget him? That's, I was going to say that's poor. But you know, I think Gleeson departing was massive. Um, you know, as much as you can say, oh well, the guy that succeeded him was trash or whatever. You know, that's a very. There's some very big shoes to fill. Um, yeah. and you know, I think Roth is someone of a very similar ilk, you know, he observed Perth and their success and how they went about it. And then he, he took those principles and he ran with them in Tassie. And, and I think, um, kind of would have been nice to see Scott do the same thing in, in Perth and, and have been that successor in that sense. But, um, yeah, Perth will, will have to get back to some of those. And I think they'll, they'll be right. It, it's going to be like whoever eventually replaces, um, pop at San Antonio, like just that same level, obviously, you know, Perth versus San Antonio, but that same level of just longevity and tenure, you're like, well, like good luck to the next person. Well, well, maybe that people just need to start uh, hiring all of uh, Gleason's protégés, you know, you look at Popovich and all the, uh, the coaches that have come from under him. It's a, uh, it's a pretty good hit rate. So maybe there's uh, something similar there after, under uh, one of the NBL's best ever coaches. Yeah, the anti Bill Belichick. I don't know if you're familiar with the NFL and that coaching tree. Yes, absolutely right. Um, Cairns, I'm really happy for Cairns because for forever we always talk about how they just can't attract and then retain talent. Um, and I was kind of just resigned to 
well, first of all, we'll start with this. I was I was resigned to Taj McCall not being back at Cairns next season, but it uh, looks like he's going to be back next season, which is really cool. Yeah, he's back, and I think they've really made him a priority. Like I think they've really built this team around him, which is an interesting decision. Um, Taj is very clearly, you know, a great player in this league, and it was interesting to see how he sort of fit with Scott Machado last season. And look, Machado wasn't at his best last season. I think physically he looked pretty cooked and his availability was in and out. But I also think that it wasn't a fantastic fit either. Um, And Taj is a bit of a weird player because he's not a shooter. You kind of need to put the ball in his hands. But when they went full, like, let's run through Taj... Um, he was a little bit turnover prone as well. He's kind of like not quite there in terms of being a full-time uh, on-ball player. So regardless of those limitations, it looks like that's what they're going to try and do this season. They're putting the ball in Taj's hands um, and everybody around them, like literally every single signing is a dead-eye shooter. So I, th- I think that's the way they're going to do it. Um, you know, you got Jerich, you got Bull Quoll. Lat Mayan is a great shooter. Sam Wardenberg and Jonah Antonio, like all these guys. And then, of course, Keanu Pinder is your role guy in the middle there. Um, you know, sort of all built. And it's all built in a very smart sense. It's um, guys that they've picked up, you know, young and, and obviously at good value. Uh, but it all makes sense. The, the it, it just all comes down to Taj, in my opinion, and, and how well he can grow into that role. And yeah, you mentioned uh, Sam Wardenberg and Jonah Antonio, two guys who I think for locals, well, Sam Wardenberg coming out of college and Jonah Antonio, I think he had a year uh, in Europe, correct me if I'm wrong, or he's coming out of college as well. Um, But two highly sought after locals in the NBL that Perth have managed to snare both of them. It looked like uh, Jonah Antonio at one point you know, it looked like he might be going to Perth before that was shut down. I'm pretty sure Wardenberg was in talks with several teams, including, I think, Sydney. Um, based on what I read, I could be wrong. But those are some pretty important local coups for Cairns as well. Yeah, Wardenberg, a few people have pointed this out, but he is far and away probably the um, the best returning college talent this season. And, you know, he's someone who is going to very obviously get a significant role with the Taipans this season. He's someone that is an athlete. He can shoot the ball, uh, moves really well, block shots on the defensive end. Like he does so many things well. Um, and he his versatility and, and just that well-roundedness of skill set is going to, you know, work really well for the Taipans, whether he plays the four, whether he plays the five. I think he's going to be capable at both spots. Um, so that was massive. And I think they really prioritized getting him. As you said, I, I would imagine that every team in the league, you know, had a conversation with Sam and his agency and, and tried to get him on board. But obviously he's seen uh, the value in, you know, guys like Bulk Wall last season um, coming to a situation like that, where there's plenty of opportunity to go around and capitalizing on it and um, using it to elevate their careers. So I think Sam's going to be next in line for that. Uh, and Jonah Antonio, he look, uh, Perth was kind of on the table at one point. I don't think that sort of made sense for both sides, but, um, you know, he has a, 
seems to have a good relationship with Adam Ford here. And Ford really understands the type of player that Antonio is. And, you know, it was interesting. I actually spoke to Jonah Antonio and he, his time in Europe last season. And the coach didn't really understand what sort of player he was because he has one absolute outlier skill and that's his shooting ability. He's got a quick release. He can run off screens. He can do all sorts of things and just be a lethal off-ball shooter. Now, when he was over there in, in Europe, they tried to sort of ask different things of him and, and sort of put the ball in his hands and go get a bucket. And that's not him. He's someone that you want playing off of others. But when you have someone like Taj handling the ball, you know, Jonah's going to free up to, you know, run through those actions and, and draw some gravity without having the ball in his hands. And uh, I think that's going to be really handy. It's kind of similar to, to Mirko Jerich in some ways. Yeah, I was about, the way I, I don't know much about Jonah, but the way you were describing him, I was just looking at Jerich's name going, well, that's just the same type of guy. Like, if Mirko gets ball, Mirko's shooting ball. So, yeah, yeah, um, these guys are going to have the green line, no doubt. Yeah. And tell me, I don't, I, I don't know anything about Kansas brought in a bunch of guys that I just admittedly don't know much about. Um, but DJ Hogg is their other import signing right now. Yeah, DJ is really good. And again, someone who can really shoot the ball. He is someone that can play either forward position. He's a pretty good athlete. I would look, their positions are going to be kind of fluid this season, I think. And they're going to throw out all sorts of different lineups. But DJ is someone that I would envision to start at the four. Um, going to shoot the ball well, pretty good on both ends of the floor. He's, again, just someone that's really well-rounded and is going to play a role at a higher level. Um, but yeah, ultimately, he's going to be someone that is going to play off of Taj and I think do a pretty good job. I, I like that signing a lot. And another good news story, Ben Air uh, parlaying a good couple of weeks at the end of the season into becoming a fully contracted player. Yeah, I think those few games that he had towards the end of the season for the Taipans where he sort of held his own and, and put up some numbers, probably got him across the line there. Um, you know, really made the most of those opportunities and impressed. And, um, you know, I think Cairns looked at their options at point guard and, you know, there's, there's a few good point guards still on the market. You know, a guy like Tad Dufelmeyer even, you know, who was with the Taipans the season prior is, you know, pretty good get as well. But, you know, I think they saw his commitment. They saw, you know, what he did last season and thought, let's reward this guy for sticking with the program and, and making the most of his opportunity. And I think he's, um, yeah, well-deserved in that backup role. We'll see how he goes. Because he moved up there with no, like nothing, right? He just moved up there for a chance at a shot and took like some, a job up in Cairns just to be like near the team, right? Yeah, well, there's, there's so many guys, you know, the upper echelons of, you know, the NBL one sphere that are just trying to make their break and, and crack through. And, you know, he, he put his eggs in his basket and he really, you know, tried his best to try and win over this spot and um you know so many guys try to do that and it's not enough it's so hard to to break into the league but things just you know the cards fell in the right way for ben and um very fortunate again like you know he's someone that you know is not a dp age guy you know he's someone a little bit older and you know has to prove that he is an nbl rotation player right here right now and uh, you know, with his several performances last season, he did that. So ama- amazing opportunity for him. And, and yeah, big congrats for him. 
I don't appreciate you calling someone my age old, but you know, well, <laughs> hey, me too, me too. <laughs> um, now I want to talk about Brisbane because they've kind of developed a trend now where they just cannot retain their star players for more than a year. It happened two years ago with Vic Law, and now last year Robert Franks. Or sorry, last year Vic Warner come back, and then this year Robert Frank's moving on to rivals in the league. Um, like what the hell? <laughs> Basically, it's a bit concerning, isn't it? Um, I sort of had some question marks. I know early in the off season it was sort of flagged that Brisbane didn't really have their budget together early, um, and you know, as a result of that, I'm sure they missed the boat and a bunch of guys early. I'm not sure if it impacted the Frank situation, but. Um, you know, that it, it puts them in a super challenging situation. Uh, it was good to see them retain Sobi, and I'm, I'm sure that took a lot for them to do so. But at some point, you need a little bit of continuity. And, you know, when you manage to strike gold and get guys like a Vic Law or a Robert Franks, you can't afford to lose them every time, you know, because then you're back to the drawing board and you, you won't know. You can't bank on being able to get a guy like that, even a new one, every season. You know, every now and then you might just uh, end up with a dud. And that puts you in a very difficult situation when those are the sort of guys that you're relying on to have just a decent season, not even a great season as they did last season. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a real red flag about the way that they're operating. They reunite with Harry Froling after a year away, or a couple of years away. Um no, you're away. And they also bring in two other guys in DJ Mitchell and Cody Statman, who I don't know anything about. Yeah, I thought the Harry Froling thing was a little bit unusual. I think that Illawarra was a good situation for him. I think Gorgian in particular was the sort of coach that, you know, we sort of look at Harry and his potential and, you know, what needs to happen for him to reach his potential. And you think a guy like Gorge who was by all accounts, you know, really on his back about, you know, all sorts of things from, um, you know, how hard he's playing and, and defense and I guess even diet and things of that nature. Um, you know, that's the sort of stuff that would re- help Harry reach his ceiling. And so for him to then decide to uh, go back to, to Brisbane and, and that situation, I sort of wonder what that says about Harry and and where his you know future lies and whether he will reach that potential. Um, it, it was an unusual decision on Brisbane's side as well, given um, the challenges that Harry had in his last stint there. But look, there there will always be that aspect of talent that you know you can't dismiss with Harry. Is you know such a talented shooter and scorer and passer and all these things for a big that you know he's always you know possible to just break out and, and be a fantastic player so the ball the ball's in his court at the end of the day with harry and we'll, we'll see how that works out for him um those new signings though i really like them dj mitchell in particular is someone that i really like i think he's going to have a great season in the league uh he played in the netherlands i recall last season and he was actually really it's not the greatest league but he was really productive and and looked really good you know he's someone who uh let's say has nba athleticism (laughs) (laughs) um he'll rise up and and have some big dunks i'm sure uh and he's someone that is kind of like a big wing someone i believe he's listed at six eight and he can slide up to the four and and defend multiple positions like that as well so 
I think he's going to be a bit of a surprise packet for the Bullets this season. Cody Statman's an interesting one because he was really quiet at Virginia. He really had a disappointing college career, really. Um, but he was someone that had, you know, a sensational reputation as a junior player. Um, someone who theoretically has a lot of upside. He's like six, seven, six, eight, uh, quite athletic, and he can shoot the ball really well. So um, something that sort of won me over a little bit. Now, I, t- I think teams sort of put into perspective his situation in Virginia and Virginia is a really hard place for a lot of players to play. So you do kind of take his situation and his play there with a grain of salt, but even just looking at how he's been in the NBL one since he came back and, you know, he's doing some pretty interesting stuff. You know, I saw him throw down a reverse dunk the other days, um, being pretty productive statistically. Um, they've taken a bit of a punt on him. I don't know how it would go, but the talent is there. Um, and, you know, I think there, there is certainly some upside there. And um, one other signing I think is really interesting for Brisbane, it's Gorjok Gak. This is the older brother of a colder Gak. Um, and he played last season for Nimburg. And he's someone that had a fantastic senior year with CBU. Um, he, dimensions-wise, is as big and as long as JLA. He's... Um, He's someone that can really play above the rim and he's super long, blocks heaps of shots. Um, and he might be a guy that, you know, pending rolling season and the outcome of that could slide into a backup role as well and do some interesting stuff. Now, that's the end of my run sheet because I just kind of worked off the top of my head with the free agent stuff um, that came into my mind. But I probably, we probably should at least touch on the other three teams we haven't really... Uh, Southeast Melbourne signing two new imports, uh, as is their usual modus operandi, Gary Brown and Trey Kell. Trey Kell is interesting because I've read that he is he's playing for the Syrian national team as a naturalized Syrian, American-born. But I can't find... like Has he actually ever played in Syria? That's a really interesting question. I don't think he has, to be honest. I'd, I haven't looked myself, but... Um... I, I don't recall that being on his uh, his playing history. So. International eligibility is what keeps me up at night. Uh, there are some absolute weird ones. I don't know if you've seen this uh, Asia Cup, but Marquise Bolden is playing for Indonesia. <laughs> so it's um, some guys just pop out of nowhere to represent these teams. And it's kind of, to, be, to be honest, I look at it and I think, man, it's so frustrating. It's taken like five years to get Bryce Cotton over the line. And we're still waiting on that when, you know, teams are just like pulling these guys out of nowhere and, throwing them into their national teams. Um, yeah, this yeah. Was, Sorry, I'm looking up Bolden now. Yep, he's never played in Indonesia, right? unless he's, I don't know. He, he must just really enjoy Bali or something. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they just asked him, hey, do you want to play for our national team and be our best player ever? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's been pretty good. Uh, but yeah, Trey Cowell, um, he looks like a really good pickup. I watched the Southeast Melbourne had a little mini doco video content piece uh recently where they showed the process of i did see that yeah yeah i thought it was really interesting and they all seemed super high on him didn't they so um it was kind of a we have to move now to get him kind of yeah kind of deal, just decision on the spot like while sitting at a table in vegas somewhere and look i reckon you know if you filmed every single nbl franchise i probably feel the same way about their own guys and um you know i'm sure Adelaide felt that way about Dusty Hannes when they picked him up, you know, like every yeah. 
you know, as a prisoner of the moment a little bit. Um, I, but- I also, I do wonder if there was a bit like, it was actually signed weeks ago and they just dramatized, recreated it for the cameras. <laughs> Yeah, it's very possible. Just that whole oh, like it's come out of nowhere. This new development, you know, it's uh, handy. They had the um, the cameras there at the time, but no, I lo- I like Cal. I they clearly have a a desire to have someone that's more of a two way player um, in the backcourt there, and you know Brown get Brown. The other import is someone that you know will be able to you know do a lot of things at, at point guard, but Cal's someone that. Um, can create a shot. He can play defense. Do a lot of things on the floor, um, and yeah, he's going to be a really solid piece. I think. Really, just yeah, really solid. I think. Melbourne, Southeast Melbourne, do pretty well at identifying a really good level import point guard, and then they just never retain them. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because they, I mean, they kind of haven't missed so far. I thought it was a bit unfortunate that Xavier Mumford isn't back in the league. Um, you know, he, he was hit and miss and, you know, people, you know, made their critiques about, you know, him down the stretch of games or whatever. But I thought for the most part, he was a good import in this league. Um, and then, of course, they had Keith, Keith Sykes as well, who um, wasn't retained, but then he went to go on to play for Indiana. So he's doing all right for himself. Um, they, they've done well. It looks like they are very thorough in scouting guys or really like guys, you know, that have had high level experience in Europe. That seems to be their mojo. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these guys fit the bill. So they like them. I, I think it's going to be a good fit and yeah, they'll, they'll be really good. And uh, I haven't seen anything on show Chi. I assume that's just kind of up in the air right now. If he's not coming back, I haven't really seen anything. I have heard that he is not going to come back. And we'll see if that's set in stone. Um, I, I think, again, uh, Tommy Greer made, made comment that they're not willing to um, admit that one quite yet and they're going to make some large stitch efforts. But, um, yeah, I, I don't believe he's going to be coming back, uh, which is a real shame. He was great in this league. And you even see him playing for the Chinese national team in, in these Asia Cup games and, He's a different beast. You wonder whether there was some more untapped um, ability to dominate um, that we didn't see last season. But it does open up a, a really big hole for the, the Phoenix there at the five. You wonder whether they will go for an import five or whether they chase someone like Thon Maker or Mango Mathiang and go local with it. Um, but yeah, that really changes their offseason a lot. Um, and I guess there wasn't really, well, you kind of covered off the the breakers a little bit they they retained McDowell White which I think was a really good um, good situation for them yeah McDowell White I I love him I think he's such a fantastic player um, and he's yet to really hit his stride in the NBL just yet you know I think he's had moments um, I, I remember one game last season where he just went off and went diabolical from three like he hit like seven or seven or something ridiculous and I was thinking oh here we go like this guy you know, has the ability to light it up and he he manages the game really well. He's a great facilitator. He's got size on the defensive end of the floor as well. It's been great in these Asia Cup games. And I think this is the year that's going to be the big year for him. He's I, I think he's going to be starting at point guard, the breakers this season, and they'll, you know, put some imports around him. And um I th- yeah, I I think he will have a real step up this year. As for the breakers overall, um I've heard they're bringing in a really good player uh, at the four and import, 
So it'll be interesting to see when that is announced. Um, Derek Pardon is a really good role-playing five. Rupair, the next star, I'm really curious to see him. Um, he's a very defensive-minded long wing. I think he'll play a significant role for them. A, because I think he's a good prospect, but B, you look at their depth and they just don't have that much in the way of depth. Um, you know, Abercrombie's getting older. Foto is a bit of a, um, you know, he's a fresh face. We'll see how he goes. And then you've got Liapa, Glidden, Vodanovic, Lowe, and uh, Timmins. So they've got decent players, but it's they're not like a super deep, super talented team. And they are going to have to lean on the imports a lot, I think. Yeah. Like you said, they've retained, or sorry, returned couple of local Kiwis in Liafa and Vodanovic. But talk about weird. To, I know he's kind of bounced around a little bit in the league, but the other way, it's weird to see Cam Glidden. You know, it's going to be weird to see him in a breakers uniform. That's it's so random. It's, yeah, I, I can't really picture it just yet. I guess we'll wait and see. Um, but, you know, the breakers needed a shooter. I think he's a really good fit and, you know, maybe have a really good season there. It's just... It's kind of like he's kind of like an Abercrombie type player, like that aging veteran, really solid wing who can shoot the hell out of the ball. But do you really need to load up on a bunch of those guys? Yeah, it's a bit of a weird fit. Um, I think the shooting aspect is is somewhat unique. I think that will be kind of handy for the breakers. But as you said, he's not. Well, you know, over the last few seasons, especially, you know, once he sort of dropped off a little bit, you wonder what else he brings to the floor. Um, and again, when you have multiple aging guys, you know, Abercrombie is, you know, not getting any younger as well. I do wonder about that wing depth a little bit. And, you know, they are going to have to lean heavily on on Ryan Rupert, this young Nexstar. And as so much as I like him, we know that Nexstar production can be hit and miss. So very interesting to see how that wing depth uh, you know, goes for them as the season transpires. Well, he's in a very pro-French situation, at least. <laughs> the man, the, the breakers, this is one thing I love about the breakers. They're super like multicultural, right? And, um, you know, they obviously have a bit of a pipeline of, of French kids coming through. It's a pity they couldn't uh, just, you know, pick up Victor Wembanyama while they were at it. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll have to take Rupert. He's, he's not too bad. Um, and then finally, I guess, just to round it off, the the Hawks, bit of a, a light roster at the moment. Obviously, losing Antonius Cleveland is a big blow, but they get the next best thing, I guess, to replace him in Wani Swakala Bullock, who appears to finally have some security in his career. Yeah, Wani did himself a lot of favours with Sydney last season. It's always helpful when you can play a role on a winning team and um, you know, he obviously cashed out and found himself a good situation with the Lawari. He's spoken about wanting to inherit a bit more of an offensive role as well. So we'll see how he goes with that. Um, but, you know, he's such a... Uh, we forget how young he is. It feels like he's kind of been around forever. Doesn't it? Yeah, he's, it's been like three or four seasons, but he's still only like 20 years old. Um, so plenty of upside still in the tank there. I think it's a savvy move. From Illawarra, you know, they know that they need to get young enough and coming players in, um, you know, where they see upside that maybe others don't and, you know, hope that he pulls that out and becomes a value piece for them. Um, and they're going to have to rely on a whole bunch of youngsters, you know, in terms of this depth, you know, a colder gack coming through, hopefully playing some minutes this season as a fully contracted player and 
Um, Alex Madronia as well. He's someone that hasn't had much of an NBL opportunity thus far, but they like what they see out of him in practice, I've heard, and I think he's going to potentially step up and play some minutes this year as well. So, yeah, the, the depth will be interesting to see whether it can live up to, to what they need. Yeah, you look at their roster from last year and there's not a lot returning. Right, Well, they've lost a fair few pieces. Um, Cleveland obviously going at Adelaide. Uh, Rattan Mays not coming back. They lose Harry Froling to Brisbane. Um, and someone else I've just completely forgotten. Maybe not. Oh, to Reef. You know, we don't know what his, his go is. So uh, I wonder, and obviously Brian Gorgian, maybe the biggest loss of them all, you know, handing the reins over to Jacob Jacomus. But I just wonder what the, the level's going to be for this Hawks side. You know, wait and see what imports they sign. But they kind of had a good thing going. And they do keep Tyler Harvey, which is probably the most important thing of all. But it's going to be interesting to see how they, I guess, retool around him. Yeah, Tyler Harvey, they're going to need him to bounce back and, and have a season like his first, you know, such an important part. And obviously they've invested a lot in him bringing him back on a multi-year deal. So they'll need him at his best. Um, but they're, they're going to have to, you know, focus in on getting some really high-level imports. I've heard they're actually down the line with some really high-level guys, um, you know, potentially NBA experience. So we'll see whether that comes to fruition. Um, you know, if they do manage to land these guys, then, um, you know, they should be in the hunt. But, you know, that's something that is a non-negotiable for a team like the Hawks. You know, they don't have the budget to really splash and get a lot of high-end locals. Um, and as, as I alluded to before, I don't think that um, the chances for Joe Perith to return are necessarily that high, which is a shame because, you know, they did so well in getting him. So, um, you know, maybe that means moving Sam Froling to the five, which I think is more of his natural position. You know, you hope for some internal growth there as Sam gets a little bit older and then, you know, just having some absolute firepower in the perimeter um, when it comes to their, their import talent as well, um, you know, could give them a, a fair bit of upside. It's going to be an interesting freeway series, you know, with Justin Simon coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's always a little bit awkward, a little bit interesting when you know these guys defect off and, and go to uh to different teams. But you know, going from Illawarra to Sydney, that's um, that's personal. We'll have to uh, we'll see what his reception well, is. Well, we've they- seen we've seen how they've how they've uh, received, you know, one of their own in uh, Angus Glover. Admittedly, he didn't really do himself many favors with that encounter, but. Um, right, yeah, that was that was spicy. I forgot all about that um that little matchup. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure Justin will well and truly hear about it. <laughs> well, his comments of saying he's on the right side now. I'm sure yeah. that like they're they're a very understanding bunch. Those Ill- Illawarians, I'm sure they'll understand. Jeez, just throwing fuel to the fire with that one. I'm sure I'm sure he's having fun with it. No, I hope he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's it. That's all I've got. I guess we. By the time this goes out, the Asia Cup final will have already happened, but that is scheduled. It's in a couple of hours as of the time of recording. Let's just get a a prediction for that before we end up, which could age horribly depending on, I guess, how this turns out. Well, I don't know if this is exactly a hot take, but I think Australia are going to take it out. Um, Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Australia, look, it's, it's interesting, you know, to see... I just I just look at these games as a bit of a showcase. It's nice to see, you know, all these um 
all these players get different roles and different opportunities. Seeing Tyrese Proctor has been awesome. Yes. Um, it's just great to see him, you know, have a platform to sort of show what all the hype's about. And, you know, then you get a guy like Thon Maker who's kind of, reputation is head and shoulders above anyone playing in this competition really getting to to go to work and put up numbers that's been fun as well um but you know i think their their toughest competition was new zealand last night and um they should be able to pull out, pull out this final pretty handily but with that being said um this team they're playing tonight beat new zealand i believe in one of the earlier games so it should at least be nice and competitive yeah, I've, I've always thought about Proctor as like the final evolutionary stage in that giddy Daniels Proctor, that three-year span. Um, and he just looks like, admittedly, it's a lower-tier competition, but I, I, it's just got me very excited for his his year at Duke and then I guess his future, both with the national team and it ending up in the NBA like we all assume he probably will or just whatever happens. Yeah, well, I mean, this sounds a little bit more of a hot take than it is really when you think about it. But I think that Proctor is the best shot maker Australia has had since Paddy Mills. Um, and like we, we haven't had that many really, um, but this is only a glimpse of, you know, I mean, the sort of stuff that Proctor's pulled out in junior events and, and things like that just make you like, he's just so shifty. He, has an unlimited bag of tricks when it comes to scoring the ball. And, you know, when a couple of years time, when he starts, you know, hitting his, hitting his prime, he's going to be an absolute bucket. Um, so yeah, really look, really enjoyed watching him over these past few games, sort of find his feet and you saw his confidence grow each game. You know, he's already one of the team's uh, more prolific scorers, but yeah, give it a couple of years and he's going to be sensational. And I guess someone I didn't know much about, well, if anything, was um, Alex Dukas, but he's shown up in a really valuable role as well. Dukas is really nice. Before he went to St. Mary's, he was actually playing for the Centre of Excellence, I believe, in NBL 1. I think it might have been the 2019 season. And he was that team's leading scorer. He was really strong. Um, so, yeah, he, he's gone to St. Mary's. He's been really successful there so far. Um, a lot of size, shoots it really well. And, you know, I think he's the sort of guy that whenever he decides to come back, whether he finishes his four years at St. Mary's or he comes back early at some point, he's going to walk into an NBL contract and, and be a guy that will have a bright future playing back home. I think he's one year left, I think, at St. Mary's. I think he's a senior this year, unless I've read it wrong. Yeah, no, I believe you're right, actually. He's, he has been there a few years now. Um, so, yeah, he should... Should finish out that last year. I know previously he had sort of entertained uh, the the option of, of leaving early, but um, yeah, hopefully he has a big senior year and, and can piggyback that into a, a nice little deal next year. And then obviously, yeah, Thon Maker showcasing just <laughs> b- being like just bullying everyone else, really. Oh, how, how good is it? It's um, it, it's nice little reminder of, you know, what Thong can do, you know, because he has struggled it's... Um, in Israel and, and the G League and stuff. But then he comes in here, admittedly, you know, not the the highest level of competition for a guy with NBA experience, but it, you just see like how long he is, how athletic he's. I think he must be having a lot of fun out there. It's, it's almost comforting because if you remember that Philippines couple of games before, you know, before he decided to fly kick people, he, um, he didn't look that good. 
No. Yeah, he did struggle a little bit. And I, I'm guilty as well. Um, you know, when we had these qualifying games in Melbourne, I was there and his first game, he struggled a little bit. And I said to someone, oh, I think Fon might be a little bit overrated. Um, <laughs> and that that's coming from someone who, you know, has always sort of, you know, held Fon in high esteem as, you know, this, you know, super talented player, um, you know, obviously NBA lottery pick. Um, but as these games have gone on, he's gotten better and better. And it's been enough that I've sort of looked at and gone, man, if this guy ends up in the NBL this season one way or another, it'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good note to end it on. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, best place to find me is on Twitter. The handle is at Michael Hoob. Um, yeah, you can find all my writing and, and work there with the pick and roll. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Um, hopefully we'll get you back on for the start of the NBL season for a proper preview. That would be fantastic. Sounds great. All right. As, as always, thanks everyone for listening. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple, beyondthefence.com.au and we'll see you next time.